you can be seated at this time. Before I uh, dive in this morning to the, the sermon, I, I do want to address the, the elephant in the room. Um, the elephant in the room being there's like 30 people that you've never seen before. And though I would love to say they were just random visitors from the neighborhood, um, they are actually people hailing from the great state of Arkansas. Can we get up for Arkansas? Believe it or not, Texans actually respect other states. I know, I know it doesn't seem like that. We're not like that arrogant. But um, I want to introduce, it's Calvary Baptist Church, uh, a church in Arkansas. Um, and uh, some of their leaders contacted me a few months back and said, hey, look, we have this thing that we do where we go on uh, mission trips every summer. And we basically come and help churches. Um, oftentimes churches that are maybe new churches or churches that are in revitalization. Um, and they were like, we recently joined a convention here in the state and we're listed as a church revitalization effort. Um, and so uh, they said, we got your, your name and, and someone recommended you guys. And so we'd love to come down and just minister among you. And so basically they're going to be doing ministry in the city this week as well as um, helping us with a couple different projects. And so uh, before I begin, I just want to invite them to stand really quick. And I just want to clap in honor of them being here with us this morning. Thank you guys. We're, we're excited. Uh, we're glad that you're here. They'll be staying in the North Wing all week, and so we've upgraded them to our best suite possible. And so uh, it's like the Marriott. So, uh, but we're so glad that they're here, and um, we will be working throughout the week. So if you've got some time off or something, or you have much going on, call me, and uh, I can get you connected. And you come help us. Uh, I'll be working with them as well. So, but I'm glad you guys are here. Um, title this morning is uh, a really big story. Uh, that, that's the title. And if you'll turn with me this time to Psalm 105, uh, I'm going to read that here with us in a second. I'm going to invite you to stand here in a minute. Uh, but uh, Psalm 105 is where we're going to be this morning. And, uh, you know, one of the most magical experiences that I ever had as a kid was a pretty cliche experience. I actually got to have this experience two different times in my life. Um, I got to go to Disney World. Raise your hand if you ever went to Disney World. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you ever went to Disney World as a kid, okay? Yeah, it's like the coolest experience ever, okay? So Disney World is a place that is known as like the place that you have to go when you're a kid because it's like this wonderland of excitement and, and wonder. It's this really cool experience where you get to go and have all these fun rides and you get to see Cinderella walking around and you have like funnel cakes, which I love funnel cakes, by the way, um, and all these kinds. It's a really, really cool experience. But I think that most people... They don't, realize, they don't really realize why Disney World is Disney World, right? Because you think, well, how come Disney World is different from maybe like Six Flags, which I like Six Flags even though they left Houston, right? Um, but like, like what is different about Disney World? And I think what's different about Disney World, and it, it's pretty well chronicled, is the founder of Disney World, a man named Walt Disney. And Walt Disney was one of the most creative geniuses of the 20th century. Walt Disney was a man who, most people don't know this, uh, before he came around, the cartoon was more for adults than it was for kids. Walt Disney came in, and he was able to make cartoons something that, were, that kids would enjoy looking at. Walt Disney was also the first person to know who actually took a cartoon and made people cry through a cartoon. Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, they, they, they weren't sure at that time if a cartoon could actually get to the heart and the emotions of a person. But Walt Disney was able to do that. And one of Walt Disney's greatest inventions was Disney World. But the culture that he infused at Disney World was different than anything people had ever seen. 
And the reason was because Walt Disney was really good at helping people in life and in whatever they were doing see the big story, see the big picture. One of the coolest things about Disney World when Walt Disney started it was all the people who worked at Walt Disney, he didn't refer to any of them as employees, right? Usually if you have a place where you work, you have like the employees that basically put on the company or run the operation. But instead of calling his employees employees, Walt Disney had this genius idea to instead of calling them that, to call them cast members, Because Walt Disney had this idea that from the bottom to the top of the organization, everybody had a vital role in helping achieve the purpose of Disney World. And so there was the CEO, but all the way down to like the janitor and the guy who made the the funnel cakes, which I love, and we've already established that, to the guy that, that designed the rides, to the kid who took the tickets at the front office. And this culture went, went so deep into the organization that every single person that worked at Disney World was actually trained that you may have a specific role. Like you may be the janitor who sweeps the, the sidewalks in Disney World. But if you see any way in which you can help increase the experience of a child, you're free to do that. So for example... If a janitor was like sweeping the sidewalks and he were to see a kid crying across the way and he goes over there and the kid's crying because he had a thing of ice cream and it fell on the ground, that janitor had full freedom to take that kid's ice cream back to the place where he got it from, to get him a fresh ice cream and to give it back to that kid so that his experience would not be ruined. You see, everybody had a Heart. Everybody was vital, and everybody, regardless of their circumstances in the company or what they were supposed to do, were part of helping the overall experience of what was going on. He was good at helping them see the big picture and the purpose and the why for everything that they were doing. And I think we live in a day where that's important because things are increasingly consumer and increasingly individualistic. And I think the same way that we often don't see the big picture, we we go to the Bible and we don't really see the big picture of what is happening in the scriptures. Because when you read the Bible, the Bible is telling a really big story. And the reason why often we go to the Old Testament and we're like, wow, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know what's going on here. It's because we don't understand the really big story of the scriptures. We we open the Bible and we're hoping to find out maybe three steps to a better marriage, which there's nothing wrong with that, or maybe how to be a little bit more efficient in raising our children, or what we should do, or what we shouldn't do, or, or maybe some advice or some encouragement. But the Bible is this massive story that recounts the amazing faithfulness of God. And it is my belief this morning, and in Psalm 105, that if we can see the big picture I think we will marvel at God more and grow in our faith. So if you have Psalm 105 open, at this time stand with me. We're going to read this together. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen for you. So Psalm 105, it's a really long psalm, so we're only going to read the first 11 verses, and then I'll, I'll explain the rest. So Psalm 105, verses 1 through 11, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. 
his miracles, and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. May God bless this word. Uh, Please be seated at this time. We read a psalm like this, and I think a lot of times when we approach the psalms, um, you know, we're looking for some inspiration, for some encouragement. We're looking for some beautiful words that will kind of stir our affections for the Lord. And yet I think what often happens, especially if we don't really know the big story of the Bible, is we, we miss key words. We essentially don't dive in deep enough to really get the fullness, I think, of what God is wanting for us in our lives and what he's communicating in his word. I had an unfortunate um, situation that happened to me a couple weeks ago that really illustrated the, the importance of doing your due diligence. Um, I, I planned this trip for my family, and we were going to go to South Padre Island. And uh, I love going to the beach. It's like totally like my favorite thing to do during summer. Like to me, summer, I try to get to the beach as much as possible, which is usually one time <laughs> during the entire summer. Um, but I'd never been to South Padre, and I heard it was like beautiful, right? Um, Destin was a little bit too far. It's about nine hours from here. That's where I usually like to go, but it's a little bit too far because I have a two-month-old now, right? So everything has changed in my life, right? And so I had heard South Padre was nice. I heard a lot of good references. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to South Padre. And yet, I had this, uh, this problem in my mind because I, I don't know where this came from, but over the years, I, I just had false information that I thought South Padre was like by Galveston. And so, I don't know where I picked that up, maybe because I think they both have a slitter bond, maybe that's kind of what I was thinking, you know. Um, but I thought that South Padre Island was an hour away from Houston, right? And so I planned a trip based upon that because I have a two-month-old, right? And a two-month-old in a car is a lot of work. That's a lot of work no matter where you're at, but especially in a car, right? So I, I, I not only planned this trip, but I recruit even like family to come on with me. You know, we're all going to do this. And I, they, they were like, are you sure South Padre? You know, I could tell there was a little bit of hesitancy. And I, I, I couldn't tell why. I'm like, I mean, it's a beautiful beach and it's like an hour away. You know, what, what could go wrong, you know? And so anyway, so I was talking to somebody, and we'd already booked the condo, right? So we were all in at this point, right? And, um, and so I was talking to someone, they're like, no, I think that's a little bit closer to, to Corpus. And I was like, are you serious? That's like three hours away. That's three hours away from me. I got a two-month-old. I, I, I'm, starting, I'm, I'm trying to go to like the short vacation, you know? And like, nah, man, like it's, it's, it's a lo- little bit longer than that, right? So I, I was in shock for about a couple of days. I even thought about maybe just paying the fee and backing out of the condo. But I was like, no, let your yes be yes, you know. So I'm, I'm doing this. I'm all in, you know. Um, but once again, I, I didn't really do my due diligence. Even after somebody said that, I should have actually gone online and map quested it or Google Maps it or whatever and found out the exact location and how to get there and all that kind of stuff. But I continued in my ignorance. I just kind of let what someone randomly said begin to fill the, the fullness of what I knew. And so I was like, but we're doing this. Three hours. I can do that. You know, we'll just push through it. And so true story, it's the night before. And uh, I finally got packed. I was excited because I'm usually like the last minute packer. Um, but we were packed the night before. And I thought, just to be safe, okay, just to be safe, I'm going to Google Maps it. I've already booked a condo, got the whole agenda planned, you know, got three hours of stuff ready for the baby in the car. You know, it's going to be awesome. And I Google Maps just to be safe, right? 
And to my unfortunate realization, I, it said six hours and two minutes. So in case you were wondering how far South Padre is from Houston, Texas, today may you forever know that it is six hours and two minutes from my house at 5422 Verdome Lane. And Halsey was in the kitchen cooking something, and I was like, oh, no. And she's like, what? And I'm like, baby, we got a long trip ahead of us. And so it was funny because I have come to find that many things like that in my life, it's like we have these thoughts and these ideas in our head of what make up something. And we've never taken like two minutes to dive in a little bit deeper and to do the due diligence and realize what is this thing really talking about? I can't tell you how many things in my life that I think I know, and then when challenged, all of a sudden I realized that I had this shallow, surface-level understanding of what something really is. And I think one of those things in, in the Bible that, that always comes to my mind when I think of, man, what do we need to know more about in the Old Testament specifically? What makes the New Testament more fulfilling? And it's a word you see in verse 8 of Psalm 105, and I really want to key in here this morning. He says, he remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. My thesis this morning, believe it or not, is is verse 8. God remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. You see, I think sometimes we come to the Bible and we don't realize that there's actually 66 books, right? And so what does that mean? I think the Bible is all about just telling how how a man can be saved. What must I do to be saved, right? And that's a huge part of it, right? That's our individual response to God is what must I do to be saved? And that's, that's important. There is eternal consequences when it comes to that. But here's the thing. It doesn't take 66 books simply to explain that. Paul does a pretty good job of that just in Romans alone, amen, for all my Bible nerds out there, right? Paul walks you through it pretty clearly. But then there's like Genesis, and there's Exodus, and there's Leviticus, and there's the Psalms, and there's Proverbs, and there's Haggai, and Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, and Matthew, and 1 Peter, 2 Peter, Revelation. There's there's James, there's Acts, there's all these different books. And if you ever wondered, why are there actually 66 books in the Bible? And the answer is because there's a story happening in the Bible. And it's a story that encourages our faith because the Bible is one continuous story of man failing time after time after time after time after time again. Of rebelling time after time after time after time again. And yet God being faithful and true to his people that he loves and created time after time after time after time again. Have you ever felt like in your life, man, I need so much of God's grace? I thought I had this down so many times. I thought I overcame that sin. I thought I would never rebel again. I thought I've gotten this place of quote-unquote maturity where I don't struggle with those things anymore. I thought I came to this place in my life where I was, I was beyond this. I thought I came to this place where that wasn't going to be an issue anymore. And yet we just keep to consuming God's grace. Have you ever felt like a, a hog of God's grace? You just need more of it and more of it and more of it. And so often what happens in our faith is we have this shallow understanding of Scripture. And we think it's just about, I made some mistakes and God's forgiven me. And now I'm just trying to follow his commands as best I can. And the whole point of the Bible is just to kind of help me get that point. 
And yet the, the scriptures tell the story of actual covenants that God has made with his people that are important for us to know. When he says he remembers his covenant forever, the psalmist really means that, meaning that at times God made a covenant with his people. Covenant meaning an agreement or a promise or a direction or guidance. He made covenants with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, with David. And every time God makes a covenant, what a covenant makes two parties is one. When two people enter a covenant together, the two become one. And so in marriage, when there's a marriage between people, they enter a marital covenant. And so the two then become what? One flesh. And so how amazing is it that God would then want to make a covenant with us where the two would become one. Where God would become the God of his people. That we would be an extension of his hand in this world. That that's the kind of life that God's calling us to live. That there's this massive story that's happening and the Bible's telling it. And God is inviting us to live in this story. That we get to be the book of Acts of our day. That we get to be the people of God in the book of Exodus in our day. That we get to be a humanity that God created in Genesis, but in our day. And the Old Testament, continuing up to Jesus are these moments where God has looked down and made covenants with his people and been faithful to keep those covenants. And so what the psalmist would have been saying here is not just in general, God's a faithful God. He's like, no, 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 like, like I remember when he parted the sea. I remember when Abraham was promised a son, but his wife was barren, but then God provided for him. The covenants are promises And when we read them, what we begin to see is that God keeps his faithfulness to his people. God made a a covenant with Abraham, and and, and God came down to a man named Abraham in a world that was wicked, a world that was broken. God looked down and saw a man named Abraham who, who believed in God and who was faithful and who was a good man. And he made a covenant with him, meaning an agreement. And what he said is, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. He says, I'm going I'm to create a people out of your lineage. Keep in mind, the guy had no kids, right? So that's a difficult process, right? He's like, I'm going to fill the world with your descendants. And he's like, well, just give me one, and then we'll kind of start talking, right? He says, Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to create a people out of your line. And I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you a nation and a country. And God does it, and he was faithful God made a covenant with Moses where he gave him the law and the commandments. And he said, if you will obey these things, if you will walk in these ways, you will be my people and therefore I will be your God. If you want to walk with the God of the universe, this is how you do it. We often misinterpret the law as a way of God condemning us. But what God is trying to do is to make us into the people that walk with him and receive all of his life and all of his blessings. And yet, let me kind of explain a little bit what happened, right? I'm going to give you a little bit of church history here. So any, we have like no church history nerds in here, do we, right? Okay, I'm like super excited because I got two degrees in this and I can like never use any of it, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to just regurgitate this on you right now. But you've probably heard of a guy named Martin Luther. You're raising Martin Luther, right? Mar- okay, a lot of people. Not Martin Luther King Jr. That's another good man. I'm talking about Martin Luther, right? 
So basically, have you ever wondered, like, how come there's, like, the Catholic Church, and there's, like, the Baptist Church, and there's a Presbyterian Church, and there's, like, the non-denominational church, which has just become its own denomination, right? And there's this church, and there's that church. Have you ever wondered kind of what's going on there? Well, most of that stems from back in the 1500s, there was this split in the church, right? There was, like, the Catholic Church, the, the Roman Catholic Church. And this guy named Martin Luther, who was actually coming up in the Catholic Church, began to look at a lot of the different principles in the, in the church and saw a lot of things that he thought were not true to Scripture. And so he said, hey, look, we keep doing these things, and yet, like, the Bible says something completely different. And so he lists basically, like, 95 grievances that he had with the church, 95 things that he thought were abusive. And out of his teachings and the things that he was doing and, and his attempt to get back to, like, a biblical Christianity, this whole separate branch of Christianity, like, broke off from the church, right? And since then, we've also broke off a lot of other times, too, as you can tell. Um, but there was this split in the church. And, and one of the main things, if you boil down everything that he had wrong with the church, everything he thought that was corrupt, was he felt like the church— had lost the value of personal experience and personal faith. And so the church was good at being an institution, and it was good at carrying out rituals and sacraments and things like that, but there were all these people going around who thought they were walking with the Lord simply because, well, my mom was a, was a Christian, and so like, that kind of makes me a Christian. Or there were moments where the church would say, if you'll give this much money for this project, then, then you can be saved. Or you can get an heir of yours out of purgatory or something. And they had all these things, right? So there were all these, like, these really weird things that were happening. And basically people were allowed to think they were right with God when they were basically living off of the faith of the church or somebody else. And he came and said, no, 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 like, it's about a personal relationship with Jesus. And while that is a really good thing, And while that's an important thing to do, and while I think like in our tradition, I think we're often good at talking about our personal walk with the Lord, I think sometimes what we lose, maybe what we've overcorrected, is we lose the covenants. We lose the story. And all the time we think about maybe my walk with the Lord, and we pray to God, and we read the scripture so that we can grow, and we can learn, and we can know. But what if the story is way bigger What if I told you that you're literally living in the same story as Abraham? What if I told you that when you read the Bible, it's not like this guy who's far off and so different from you. What if I told you that you were just as important part of the story as Moses or Peter or Paul? What if I told you that they were literally your brothers and your sisters in Christ? What if we began to see our faith as something corporate? What if we begin to see that what's happening here is that God has actually made a covenant with the world and all of us are invited into this covenant? And I think this is important today because we often don't think about this, but we are literally living under the new covenant. If you have your Bible still, turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter uh, 22. Matthew 22. Uh, We're going to look at, uh, I'm sorry, Luke 22, verses 17 through 20. Luke 22, 17 through 20. And I'm going to read you something that was written over a thousand years before Luke Luke 22. Jeremiah, right? So God was making covenants, right? He made a covenant with Abraham, with Moses, and with David. And he was basically making these covenants or these agreements so that God's people could enter into this story, right? And it says in Jeremiah 31, before we look at Luke, it says, Uh, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, that though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. In the Old Testament, we see this story. It's a lot like our life, right? There's just continual failure, continual disobedience. God makes a covenant and things go well for a generation and the the new generation comes up and and they're not faithful to the Lord like their forefathers and there's up and then there's down and there's up and then there's down and there's this system for whenever you make a, whenever you sin, you, you sacrifice an animal and there's this like complex system and God's trying to teach his people how to be obedient. But then there comes this moment in time in all of God's wisdom, in all of his glory, in all of his wonder, in all of his beauty, where he says, I'm going to fix this for good. You ever tried all these solutions in your life and you try one thing and you try the next and you think I'm depressed so therefore the way I'm going to fix it is I'm going to exercise more and that works for a few weeks or, or I need to get more money and so you get a new job and that fixes it for a little while or you've got this problem in your relationship and so you kind of mix it up and you get creative and that fixes it for a little while. Have you ever wanted something that was just firm, that would fix it, that would be final? that would finally get you to that point that you know you're, that place you know you're called to live, the place you know you're called to be, if you ever wanted to get to that point. Well, that's what God was doing in the world through the new covenant. And so in Luke chapter 22, verses 17 through 20, Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus Christ enters into this story, the same story of Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel. He enters into this story of which we are continuing to this day. And Jesus comes in and he begins to heal people. He begins to teach them how they can have their sins forgiven forever through following him, through trusting in him. He, he's prophesying there's going to be a way that God's going to fix this once and for all. There is going to be a new covenant that is going to redeem all things. But they don't know how it's going to happen. But then in Luke chapter 22, verses 17 through 20, I think it'll also be up on the screen. Right before he's crucified on the cross, it says, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup. The cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. In the Old Testament, whenever somebody would sin, there was a a sacrifice 
There'd be an animal sacrifice and the the animal's blood would kind of signify the, the forgiveness. And there was this way, there was this story in which things were happening. And yet then Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, enters into the world and begins to say that it's actually the blood of God himself that is going to forever heal this world. And thus, when Jesus Christ comes and changes the world forever, he begins this new covenant where basically God reaches down into the world and says, I know your hearts are broken. I know the world is divided. I know there's, there's problem. I know we have uncertain futures. But God has come to forgive humanity. And the reason why we send missionaries to the nations and the reason why we want to engage our neighbors with the gospel is because God has literally made this announcement to the world that you can be forgiven of all of your filth and all of your sin simply through trusting in the name of Jesus Christ. That all of our problems, that all of our fears, that all of our failures are solved when we enter into a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ himself. In Jesus, God was saying, there's a new agreement in the world. There's a new way we're going to do this, and it's going to be through the name of Jesus Christ. And how amazing is it that of all the ways God could have done it, he chose to die on a cross for you. But my question for you this morning as we draw to a close and a question that I I couldn't help but ask myself a million times this week is where is your covenant? Everybody has them. Or or another way stated, what what have you made a covenant with? Because the Bible is this wonderful story of people who continually look to statues, to morality. They would, they would build golden calves and they would worship them because they got this idea that somehow that would make things better. All these things that people would turn to and they would say, okay, look, if I do these things, if I, if I follow this, then all will be well then I will become the person that that I need to become. Then God will love me. Then God will forgive me. If If I do these things, then all will be well in my life. But God has made it clear that the way that he has chosen to enter into an agreement with us is through our faith and our trust in his son who did away with sin and pain, and death forever. But you see, we enter into covenants with things like money. Oh, money, if I, if I get a bunch of you, then I'll be happy. A lot of money covers a lot of iniquities. We enter into covenants with humans, and they let us down. We, I thought that person was going to be there for me. I thought they were going to help me. I thought they were going to be faithful to me for all of the days, and then they break that covenant. We enter into covenants with jobs and circumstances, others' opinions, even good goals. 
that if I just have this, if I just have that, then all will be well. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're sensing a covenant that you've entered into that you need to break because you need to be in a covenant with the God of the universe. And you can trust him because he was faithful to Noah, and we see it. Was faithful to Abraham, and we've read about it. Was faithful to Moses. Was faithful to David. He came through with what the prophets prophesied. To the fulfillment found in Jesus Christ, of which he said, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then 2,000 years later, here we stand today as the largest group of humans on the planet. You see, the covenants are important and reading about them are important because they're what help us see that we can trust God. That when people turn from our ways and our idols and the things that we've made covenants with that are not Him, that when we forsake those things, when we tear down those idols and when we turn back to Jesus, we enter into a covenant that makes all things well, that forgives us of all sin, all pain, all iniquity, and that says that you can know that you will be with God forever in all eternity and all glory. And so my invitation to you this morning is to enter into this new covenant through faith in Jesus and enter the promise in your life. Enter the promise that is tried and true. See what happens when you trust God above everything else. Enter this promise this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, God, just your consistency throughout all time. God, you have never once left us on our own. And God, I know there's people in this this room and they probably think they might have strayed so far. And maybe at one time in their life there was this vibrant walk with the Lord and yet they just wonder, how did I get to this place? God, I pray you would speak to them this morning and let them know that it is not by their works but by the works of Jesus Christ that they are justified that the gospel really is good news, that when we enter into that relationship with you, that you do the work, that you cleanse us, and then we begin to find our wonderful, important part in your story. God, we love you. I pray you'd remind us of your faithfulness and your goodness. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.